this is Roger Hallam, and you're listening to Designing the Revolution. It's talk six, complexity. Okay, so for the next talk or two, I'm going to be looking at what you might call theory stuff before we get on to all the different types of organizing, as it were. So theory is a bit of an off-putting word, but I'd like to think of it as the way you see things. And the reason it's so important is whatever you look at, whatever you try to create or organize, you're always going to approach it in a particular way. Often you don't realize you are, but by definition, you've got to have some assumptions behind what you do. And that affects what you think is important, what you prioritize, and you know fundamentally what you actually see happening. And the reason why this is so important is, without beating around the bush, the reason so many people are unsuccessful at mobilizing and organizing is because they've got the wrong glasses on, as you might say. They're looking at the whole thing in a way that's suboptimal, as they say in the trade. <laughs> okay, so this, once you get into it, is really interesting because it enables you to be more empowered in what you do because the way you look at things is much more effective and also significantly assuming other people share your theoretical basis your way of seeing then it reduces conflict because what i'm going to be going through with this whole complexity business is a way of making conflict more amenable to resolution because things aren't as obvious as you might think they are. That's one of the reasons complexity. Oh, that's the reason why complexity is, is so useful. Okay, so at the moment I'm sort of throwing in these bits and pieces of theory. I am hoping to bring it all together in a bit of a coherent whole. So I will be revisiting these themes and trying to bring them together. So it's not like this is it and off we go. Uh, but it's a good enough start, at least I hope so. All right, so in a talk or two, I'm going to get on to practicalities. I'm going to be talking about proximity. I'm going to talk about sociability. So these are like ways of organizing people and principles of getting people to do stuff. And behind those two talks I'm going to do in about two or three talks time, is this theory about complexity and attention and non-linearity. So in this talk, I'm going to be focusing on the complexity side of it and other things being equal, we'll be going on to attention and non-linearity on the next talk. All right, so you probably got an idea about what complexity is and I'm sure some of you know there's a sort of continuum there's things that are simple in this world, you know, a car engine either goes or it doesn't go, um, you know, you um, press on the handle of a door to get out of a room, you do A, it causes B, everyone knows it's the way it is. At the other end of the continuum is what's called chaos. So chaos is no one's got a clue. <laughs> No one's got a clue what's going on because whatever you do, you've got no idea what the effect of it is. And that's the situation as well. 
Now, those two things are quite easy to understand in a way. They're pretty clear. Complexity is obviously something in the middle where things are complicated, but it has particular characteristics which are unique to that phase or that situation. So it's not simple and it's not chaos. It's a sort of independent entity. And it rotates around the following ideas. So because things are complicated, complicated and they interact with each other it's not possible to know for certain the effect of your action but it doesn't mean that you can't make a probability analysis in other words you can say if we do this it's pretty likely that will happen and this is where this word optimize come in comes in so you can work with other people and through your collective intelligence as you might say you optimize the best probability but the fundamental thing here is you don't know for certain but as i said it's like you know not useless it's very useful to bring these ideas together so your information uh, is always going to be incomplete a similar idea is there's an anchor or a signal in the system. So with an anchor, what that means is, is things tend to vary, but they vary around a particular point. So you can say for certain that it's going to be near this point, near this phenomenon, but in real life, things buzz around it, as you might say. In other words, there's a signal, there's something that's critical and really important in the system, and there's a whole load of noise around it, because it's a real world and there's always noise, there's always stuff going on. You know, you might have a meeting, you know it's usually, say, two hours, it could be an hour, it could be, you know, three hours, it's not going to be 20 hours, it's not going to be two minutes, right? So you have this anchor and this signal, the basis or the structure of it, and then you've got all this variability around it. I'm going to talk about tipping points, which is part of the whole complexity thing in a few, a few, um, in the next talk. So we'll leave it like that as a basic definition. Now, you probably, if you've listened to my other talks, you've probably got in the back of your head, or I hope you have, that this is juxtaposed, like it's a, it's, it's, fundamentally different to this Newtonian mechanical deterministic system. Now, there's a background here, which is in the uh, 17th century, Newton discovered all this mechanical, mathematical basis of physical reality, and it was enormously powerful and enabled things to predict things really well. And of course, like human beings do, they sort of over egg the pudding, as you might say, and decided this is how society works as well. So you've got this massive surge of sort of theory around uh, the mechanical relations of society. But dare I say, it was all rubbish because society is fundamentally different. Society is a general rule, is a complex system. There's loads of self-reflective individuals interacting with each other. It's complicated. People react to each other. We're not talking about apples falling off trees and talking about gravity. So you can see this is, you know, uh, as you probably noticed by now, this is going to be an ongoing structural theme through these talks is to try and get all you guys to move away from this cultural inheritance you've had, this, um, you know, this, this theory that you've grown up with, you don't realize you've got it, uh, but you're going around making all these mechanistic assumptions and predictions and 
consequently having big conflicts with people because you're making assumptions that are just not uh, sustainable. All right, so let's just throw ourselves into another sort of theory. This is network theory. Again, you know, there's books on it, you can read lots about it, but there's a few fundamental elements. The idea here is that there are nodes, there's things, and then there's links between those things, which are sometimes called bridges. Um, and of course, there could be a few of them, or there could be a lot of them, they could be really strong links, they could be weak links. So this is a new way of looking at things. It's ten, the fundamental point here is that it prioritised the analysis of the links rather than the things, the nodes. So for instance, there's a famous paper which said the way people get on in life is by having lots of weak links beginning of time, but of course it's not just been made up in a historical period for certain purposes. And the way to look upon categories, to be more smart, is to look upon them as having a family of characteristics. Okay, so it's not like there's necessarily a foundational element to a category. Usually, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. So this is a little example, I'm in court at the moment, and you know, the prosecution is trying to make out that a burglary happened when some people broke into some office and uh, disrupted it and caused some damage. And I said, or oh, I'm going to say, well, you know, burglary covers a multitude of sins, right? It's got a load of different elements and, you know, it's like breaking into a place, it's about stealing things, it's about causing a lot of damage, it's about being secretive, there's a whole, whole bunch of things. Now, if a lot of those things aren't actually in that, aren't actually in existence in that in that event, then it's questionable, of course, whether it was a burglary. So we need to be quite flexible about concepts and categories. It's not that they're not useful, obviously, they're useful and inevitable. It's more that you just hold them in some sort of pragmatic headspace, you know, does this make sense? Could we pull this category apart? So you can see the beginnings here of why if people get their heads around complexity, they tend to be less in conflict. You know, if you're working with a bunch of activists, everyone understands complexity. If someone comes up with a concept, they already know that someone might challenge them and say, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, what does the concept mean? What's actually in this category? Okay, and um, related to this is the notion then of some sort of continuum. So I'm going to use a concrete example here. Let's take direct action. So, you know, if someone comes into your group and they go, direct action is great, we should do it, or someone says, direct action is terrible, we shouldn't do it. Now, this is a classic, I know it's a simplification, but, you know, this is a classic reductive category situation. And instead of thinking about the category, you should think about what's called a continuum. In other words, you have a line and you have some things that are definitely not direct action, you have some things that are a little bit and some things that are quite a lot and some things that are really full on and you move along that, that line. Now, when you're deciding what to do, a key analytical tool is to choose a point along that continuum. So for the sake of argument, you might say most campaigning, most sort of radical political action is about 
3 out of 10, it's 3 points along the line. So 0 is nothing, 10 is off the scale, bad, sort of, or full on. Um, so let's say it's about 3. Now when people take direct action, you know, they sit in a road or something, you might say that's 5. Okay. And as we'll be discussing in future talks, my general orientation is you want to be at 8, 8 out of 10 for optimization of effect. In other words, you want to be doing direct action, but you want to up it quite a bit. But you notice that I've said 8 out of 10, I haven't said 9 out of 10, or 10 out of 10. In other words, it is possible to overdo it, and that obviously relates to, you know, becoming aggressive, sort of mechismo, sort of approach, uh, violence and such like. So the top of the curve, arguably, is 8 out of 10. Now that gives you a lot better um, a lot better methodology of actually optimizing what you do by thinking about this continuum. All right, so a last theoretical notion here. I mean, all these things are related, as you probably noticed. The last thing is about causality. Now, causality is really, <laughs> it's a bit of a head fuck subject, to be honest. But, um, you know, the general gist is a causes B, you know, something happens and it causes something else. In complexity theory, i.e. in complex social reality, that is almost never the case. In fact, I think I'd stick my head out and say it's never the case. In other words, if you, you know, if A causes B, you'll probably find it causes a lot of B and it causes a lot of the opposite of B. In other words, it causes one effect a good effect, as you might say, but it also has bad effects. Now you can see how conflicts happen all the time, because someone focuses on all the good effects and says, we should do this because we have lots of good effects. And because they don't understand complexity, they get really annoyed if someone says, oh, it has bad effects, because they don't realize that things have good effects and bad effects all the time. So it's not a question of whether things have good effects or bad effects. It's more a comparison between the good effects and the bad effects. And obviously, if the good effects are on balance going to outweigh the bad effects, you should go for it. So again, you've got this more sophisticated analysis, um, which enables people who understand the theory to work together without too much shouting, <laughs> as you might say. So I'll just give you a little example here, Liz, is... You know, there's um, advertising on on smoking. So he's saying, you know, you shouldn't smoke because it do your lungs in and da da da. And it's really effective. You know, there's pictures. People go, oh my god, that's terrible. I'm not going to do it. However, there's also people who go, what the fuck? You know, I don't care about death. I want to be oppositional, I have a self-image, which is I don't take orders from people, blah, blah, blah. So some people, most people are going to go, yeah, okay, I'm not going to smoke, I'm going to smoke less. But a minority of people are going to go, oh, I'm going to smoke more, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> so you can see how that works. All right, so let's look finally then at three sort of practical applications. So the first one is what you might call prototyping or piloting. Now loads of people do this and so you may be familiar with it. But the general rule of thumb is you've got an idea, right? You've got a plan. You've 
been listening to my podcasts and you go to your group and go, ha ha, got this great plan. <laughs> and, um, and they go, no, 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 it's not going to work. And you go, no, 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 it has to work, it has to work. So again, the conflict reducing complexity-esque approach here is to go, look, let's try it, you know. If it doesn't work, it's it's not the end of the world, right? You haven't put loads of time, money and resources into it. And also, if it doesn't work, it's going to give us loads of data. It's going to give us the failure of it isn't not useful because it'll give us loads of information about what fails which is a big idea in complexity, by the way, you know, people, I mean, failure isn't the greatest thing in the world, but, you know, the fact of the matter is you do learn from it. Okay, so what you do is you try it out. So you've got the general idea. And this connects with this notion of iterations. So what you do is you do a pilot and then you decide you're going to go for it because it's good enough to go. Notice that phrase, good enough, no one's saying it's perfect. And then you iterate and, you know, you learn from that iteration. It's 75% successful, 25% unsuccessful, to 25% unsuccessful is useful, and then you iterate again and it gets bigger, and obviously the system's changing, so it's not like you're going to reach perfection, it might get a little bit worse again, but this is what's called design engineering, right, you're just continually iterating, it's not some, some out of time and space abstract sort of idea, it's you're in there, there's time, there's space, and you're influencing it through this iterative process. So you can see this can sort of get complicated when some people interpret complexity as you can't replicate. So I'm totally against this, this notion. That's not what I think complexity is at all. Having said that, I did talk to a lecturer who used to do courses on complexity. And um, it was a bit interesting because I was studying at the time uh, bottom-up uh, organization to get people to stand in local elections and the guy who originated the method of doing this I thought it was really cool it was really exciting he written a little book about it I looked at it I thought good what we can do is systematize this and start iterating it and rolling it out in other towns and cities around the UK and this woman who was the complexity lecturer she, she said no, 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 this, you know, it's a complex system out there. You can't replicate it. Um, you, you know, everything's different. To, so to, to my mind, that was wrong. I'm pretty sure it was wrong. Uh, what I said was, no, 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 it's not chaos, right? That's chaos. What complexity is, is you try it and it's not going to be totally successful and you're going to have to build your model over a few iterations and then you roll it out. And yeah, sure, not every town in the UK is going to come up trumps, maybe 80% or something, and you can't really wish for better than that. So when we set up Extinction Rebellion, you know, a sim similar sort of situation, a few groups were set up, and myself and the people I worked with were going, okay, we're going to systematize it, we're going to find out what the key things are, the best practice, and then we're going to roll it out. And that's what we did, and, you know, within six months a year there were 200 groups and it became like pretty predictable not totally of course because it was a complex situation okay so the next one is like a balance of logics which is really one of the more difficult conflict areas in a group to deal with because let's say you're you know in a mobilization group and you meet together with the people in the actions group 
and you got a logic, right? Mobilisation, the system for mobilisation, recruiting people to do direct action is, you know, X, Y and Z. And it has a number of priorities and needs and organisational principles and all the rest of it. And you go into the all system meeting, you go, look, this is this is the logic of mobilisation. And then the action people come in and they've got their, you know, X, Y, Z system, how they get people on the road, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they've got their priorities and their logic. Now you can see the problem here is they don't coincide. I mean, they might coincide slightly, but they're not, they're not the same thing. And obviously people fall out about this and they have a conflict. And the name of the game is to say, look, it's a complex system. We're going to look at the whole system. We're going to have to optimize the whole system. And that means that the action people aren't going to get the whole, the, the whole of their priorities and neither of the mobilization system. So we need to go through the different logics and see how we can combine them. Uh, in the best way we can. And without wishing to get overly intellectual about this, there is a sort of philosophy that this relates to called pragmatism. And there's a guy called Richard Roti. If you want to read some philosophy and read him. So what he says, and it sounds a bit naff, but what he says, to go a long story short, is some things you cannot be reduced to some logical uh, proof, particularly in social affairs. And at the end of the day, the best you can aim for is is a bodge. I've got a feeling he doesn't use that word. <laughs> but basically he says you've got to bodge it. And usually when people, you know, I'm a great bodger by the way, but usually people will come to me and say, oh, you've bodged that, you know, you know, you should be more thorough, you should be do more consultation, you should be more objective. And I'm going, no. Basically, there's a limit to your knowledge of a social system. You do a certain amount of work on it, you get a certain amount of data, and then you go for it. You're not sitting there for weeks and months on end because you simply will never get to an objective analysis, right? You're just going to have to intuitively go for it, try it out, and then react to it. In other words, there's limits to theory, right? And this is the big theme of these podcasts, right? You've got theory and you've got to go and do the practice because otherwise you're not going to get anywhere on the theory and vice versa. All right, so the last one, which is one of the major themes we're going to come back to over and over again, particularly when we're looking at small-scale design, is social space, the concept of social space. So I think I've touched on this um, before, but let's just remind ourselves. So... Traditionally in politics, there's two genres, as it were, there's two main approaches. So one is the individual approach, which is there's these things called individuals, and they make individual decisions, and you influence those individuals. And, you know, this traditional liberal approach, as it were, this sort of atomized individual situation. Then there's this macro analysis. So the macro analysis is traditional left-wing approach, sometimes it's called political economy, you know, it's top-down, let's look at the whole of society, let's look at top-level political dynamics, um, you know, capitalism, Marxism, all that type of, type of stuff. Now, both of those, you know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, both of those have some functionality. 
But the main purpose of these podcasts is to say that is not the centre of social causality, which is a sort of technical phrase. What I mean by that is the thing that basically influences the success or not of a social movement or of a social or political project is mid-level design, otherwise known as the design of the operations of a social group. So notice this connects with this idea of norms, roles and rules. You're not going into this mid-level space to influence individuals. You're not trying to influence the space as the space. You're trying to get in there and look at how it works and how it operates. And that's a big deal, put it like that. So the proposition is, is if you get that right and you iterate on it, you can roll it out and it will, through an emergence process, as you might say, massively influence things on a macro level. So let me give you an example. So there's a guy called Owen Jones, as you may know if you're in the UK. And I heard him, he's a cool guy, and I heard him, you know, give a speech and he said, what we need to do is to go and mobilise Cornwall. I think he was talking about the Celtic fringe or something. Anyway, you know, we're going to, you know, we need to organise Cornwall. And of course, on a rhetorical level, that's fair enough. But like with a lot of left-wing organising, it doesn't really tell you anything about how effective or otherwise you're going to be. So, for instance. You know, if you're going to mobilise Cornwall, what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to have rallies? Are you going to do canvassing? You know, are you going to have workshops? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And then the real question is how are those organised? So if you're going to do canvassing, you know, what do you say when they open the door? What do you piece of paper do you give them? What's the follow-on process? There's probably about 20 elements in canvassing, all of which are really influential, massively influential on how successful you are. And as someone who's done canvassing for 20 years and various things, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if you know what you're doing, you'll be doubly as effective as someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And you only need to spend about 15 minutes with someone to get them to be pretty good at it. But if you haven't had to spend that 15 minutes, then unfortunately Owen Jones is going to mobilise Cornwall. You just see what I mean. No disrespect to Owen. The other... The other example I will look at is, yeah, the other example is uh, my award-winning research. It sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? My award-winning research at King's College. So what I did was I organised a meeting of the Browns Red Strikes, and I organised it in a participatory way. You don't need to know the details this, this, in this talk. I'll be coming back to it. But basically, it was participatory, you know, people enjoyed it, they could uh, talk about stuff, they were sitting around tables, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the meeting, through various methods, 80%, an 80% level of empowerment, okay, as a generalised output from that meeting. So a fortnight later, I went to another meeting, again around a similar campaign aim, there were four speakers, spent 15 minutes each talking, there were 20 minutes for questions, you know, two or three blokes of a particular type sort of asked the questions, if you know what I mean, people looking at their social media, blah, 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 you know, ran around with my questionnaires afterwards, 20% empowerment, 20% empowerment all due to the 
design of that social space. So needless to say, this is the revolution. <laughs> you know, this is uh, one of the big aspects of this designing the revolution, which we'll be talking about over and over again in the coming um, talks. So just to finish off on this, the point here is there are not good or bad people and they're not good and bad groups. You know, this is really boring. It's a sort of pathology that we are brought up with. It's what is drummed into us by our culture. You know, that person over there, Joe, he's useless, he's bad. You know, someone over there, Louis, she's great, she's amazing. That group, they're terrible. You know, that, that, those, that critical group, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. What we're saying here under complexity theory is it's about the design. If you put bad people into a good design, they turn into good people in inverted commas. If you put good people into a bad design, I can guarantee they will start shouting at each other. So that's our job as revolutionaries, as you might say, is to be smart enough to know the system is complex and that's pretty foundational to our success. Okay, that's it. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.